Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. John Cooper on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, John? I am swell. How about you, sir? I'm doing fine. You uh, in Broomfield or in Colorado today? Whereabouts? I'm actually in Broomfield, Colorado today, amazingly enough. Okay. Now, is that where you – I know you went to high school there. Did you grow up grow up in Colorado as well? I grew up in Colorado, um, lived a little bit of time in California, came back to Colorado. I didn't think I would ever actually end up back in Broomfield, but, you know, when you're married and you have kids, you kind of look for, uh, hey, where's the great cul-de-sac that my kids can go play at the neighbor's houses and, you know, you kind of give them that amazing experience. And so we ended up moving from Denver to Broomfield, um, actually the week that they did uh, shutdown uh, for COVID. So oh, really? <laughs> amazing timing on our part, <laughs> which was great wow. compared to where we were living. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we love it up here. It's been wonderful. So your parents, um, were you a native then, born here? I was born in Boulder. Mm -hmm. Born in Boulder, okay. And uh, your folks, are they still in Colorado? Are they still around? Yeah, they uh, amazingly, they are now back in Broomfield. And I have a sister that's back in Broomfield. And I probably have about 60 family members in the uh, area. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> wow. The Coopers. Everybody's like, yeah, the Coopers. <laughs> yeah, well, they, yeah you know, I still have a set of grandparents alive, the Giordanos. Uh, wow. And, uh, you know, tons of aunts and uncles and cousins and you know nieces and nephews and everything you can imagine across the board, uh, all over the place. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's a great place to live because you know if you if you think about it as it takes a village, man, I've got a village. <laughs> yeah, right. What do your folks do? What your mom and dad do? Um, so they are um, right now they they have an events business. Um, they actually, uh, growing up, was uh, they they had a cleaning and restoration business, and so I actually, from a very young age, went and worked in that business with them. You know, like carpet cleaning and restoration, like flood jobs and I see. type of things. And so, I mean, even at the age of eleven, I went and got certified on carpet cleaning, right? Um, you know, which was very fun. But I did that through high school and college. They ended up selling that, and um, they now throw the largest trade shows for the cleaning and restoration industry. Um, and they, they also do quite a bit on kind of energy and spiritual side of things as well. Um, and so there's a big practice, big focus uh, on that. Okay. So uh, the entrepreneurial bug was there early on, right? It sounds to me like. Well, funny enough, um, coming out of college, my dad looked at me and he actually said, there's absolutely no way you can even work for a big company, right? Like you, you don't even have it in you. It's not even in your genetics, right? <laughs> Uh, it's hundred percent. It's always been a part of me. I actually spent a little bit of time working for big companies, mostly because I didn't understand the mindset of how a big company worked. It was very foreign to me. Right. And so I, I made the, the decision that a younger age right, coming out of college, that would be the right time to go work for a big company because I knew I needed to be able to interact with big companies. And if I didn't understand the, the mentality, how, how it functioned, how, how did this organization work? How did it think yes. about its people? How did it make decisions? Um, it would be very difficult for me to, to ever work with, you know, with it and, and do business with the large company. So uh, all of that was, um, you know, necessary training, I would call it. 
Right. Well, your major was political science, though. What was the original plan? Or, or you were just like, ah, whatever. This is I'll just major in whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I I was always interested in politics. I wasn't sure if I was, you know, potentially going to do a lawyer and quickly okay. said it's not a logical place to go. I got uh, you. you know, and I, the part about political science, which is interesting, is that what it really teaches you how to do is think. Right. And think strategically. And you surprised by the number of CEOs I meet who actually have political science backgrounds. Interesting. Right? All right. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, your ability to strategically think the way that you can position, um, you know, a company, how to, you know, all, all the different things that you actually see in politics are sometimes yes. useful as it translates to being a leader of a company. And, and what kind of kid were you in high school and college? I mean, were you straight A's? Were you a little bit of a rebel? Were you, did you get in any trouble? What, what, like, where were you in the mix there? Oh, I was the straight A kid. Oh, uh, <laughs> I was also the super ambitious president of anything I could touch, you know, type of kid who over okay. everything. Um, you know, I was, I was that kid. <laughs> I got you. All right. So very much, right. Uh, you know, but it was still, not quite satisfied with what I was doing, I guess you could say. Mm. Right. Um, and you know, can I go on a side tangent? Is there, is it early enough to go on a go side? Go for tangent? it. Go okay. for it. Side tangents. Um, so one of the things I found that was, um, I only recently learned about myself was that I was dyslexic. Right. Really? Oh yeah. And, um, I, I have so many vivid memories, even from high school of seeing things, you know, I'd be in this, AP class or honors class or whatever it is. And I would have an answer that was over here. All the other smart kids were over here. <laughs> I knew what I was doing. This, this made, this was the only way that made sense to me, but yet everyone else was over here. Right. And, um, you know, I think growing up, if you're, if you're dyslexic, especially if you don't know you're dyslexic, right. You, you think that maybe there's something wrong, mm. right. Versus, uh, understanding potentially that's that's a kind of a superhero strength for being able to visualize things and, and see what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, interestingly, you know, people like Richard Branson and folks have um, started coming out and um, really talking about the advantage of hiring dyslexic people um, because just that ability to visualize things. And, you know, even reading to my daughter the other day, who's seven-year-old, um, and it was going through, you know, kids with different challenges and asking them to, um uh, asking them, hey, you know, tell me about yourself and, you know, what, what is I should know um, when the kids was dyslexic. And it was interesting because the way that they captured this kid seeing things kind of like right here and then their way they're translating it and putting on paper, you know, almost brought a tear to my eye because I was like, man, that is actually me. That finally there was something that actually captures the way that I show up in the world. Wow. Right? So um, I had to make you feel good. You had to feel good about that, right? You're like, man, okay, I just. Yeah, it's really neat. And so it's interesting as I then approach any company or I think about anything, mm-hmm. right? I, I actually learn, lean more and more on that than anything else, right? Just because it helps me, you know, I, I have an interesting way that I can visualize where a company is now, where it can go, what it can turn into, all of these uh, type of opportunities because you're just such a visual learner. Mm, very good. Interesting. Okay. So, Good kid though, all the way through college as well. Never, never gotten in, into any much trouble. When did you meet your wife? Uh, so I met my wife in 2013. 
Oh, oh man, you were you were single for a long time after school because you graduated in '98. The second wife. <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 oh, well, well, let's go back then. Okay, when did yeah. you get married the first time? Not that your current wife wants us to talk at length about your first wife, but <laughs> uh, two thousand eight, I believe, or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. And how long were you married the first time? About four and a half years. Any kids uh, from that marriage? Two kids. Um, you know, and I, you know, for me, it was really important. I spent so much of my life focused on just trying to learn, uh, me from a business perspective. I hadn't really spent much time thinking about me from a relationship perspective. Mm. Right. And so, um, you know, part of the way I kind of approached the relationship world was, you know, maybe I should try to find people who are the opposite of me. And you think of it almost like a balancing equation, right? Okay. Okay. And what I found was that doesn't quite work, right? <laughs> um, you know, because, you know, if you're over here and, and she's over here, yeah. you have less to talk about, right? You have less commonality. Yes. Right? Or, you know, or as I like to tell people, Paula Abdul is full of it, right? You know, so, <laughs> you may have a short-term attraction, a long-term attraction. is like, you know, it becomes challenging when, when you don't have a lot of common overlap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, going through my divorce, um, I became very, very cognizant of who is it I should probably be with in this world, Um, all the way to the point of knowing the exact career I think I should find in a partner. (laughs) I I wanted someone, I needed someone who did left brain and right brain, right? Because I, I knew, I knew how smart she needed to be. I needed, I knew all of these amazing things, right? And I, I set the bar so high, right, of who this person needed to be um, that that was going to come in my world. I actually thought it was going to be years and years being single, right? Honestly, <laughs> it was what it is. But I mean, I'm not sure if you know the concept of manifest, right? In many ways, I, I came up with this is, I put it out into the universe. You created uh, her. You created her. <laughs> I take it, honestly. <laughs> um, so, so I jumped on eHarmony, right? Okay. All right. You put in, you put in all these specs. Well, and you can't even tell the specs you can't even put in, right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, the first person that eHarmony hook like sent to me, first person I read through the second paragraph, and I was like, "Oh man, that's gonna be my wife." <laughs> wow. And, right. Four months later, we were already talking about marriage. I mean, it was wow. that obvious we were meant to be together uh that's pretty cool and they got married in 2013 you said so we got married in 2014 met her in 2013 okay. and we have two okay. kids together and ah. we have the um you know blended family where the siblings don't think of each other as half siblings they all cool. just think of brother and sister uh you that's know does she yeah. have kids from her first marriage too uh she was never married before okay so i would yeah, i was first and- so four together basically you have four I, yes, I would say def- definitely. Basically, I have four. <laughs> Very good. You know, I live in <laughs> it, it's interesting that, um, yeah, it does matter. I mean, religion, politics, uh, activities, hobbies, um, clean versus messy, uh, hyper versus calm. I mean, you know, you could go on and on and on about all of these things about somebody. But it does matter. I mean, if if everything is opposite, like what what, what are you going to talk about? You know, all you're going to do is argue. <laughs> uh, and 
there's, there's some aspects of like some, you know, getting similar levels of IQ, EQ. Yeah, that too. Right? All of those things really matter. They uh, do. They do. They do. They do. I needed the combination of left brain and right brain. Yeah. Right? I needed the person that was able to embrace and, and was looking to further embrace yeah. the creative side of their mind. Yep. Right. Because there was there's such an aspect of that, but yet could still be analytical, right? And so, um, you know, I think if you find those type of relationships, um, it's way easier to see each other and recognize each other and be able to support each other in those relationships. Agreed. So, uh, as you can tell, I'm I'm uh, delighted by my marriage. I'm delighted by my wife. I'm delighted yeah, about so, yeah. very very fortunate with with all of that. Yeah, we'll wrap this particular uh, segment up here by telling listeners. Hey, listen, if you're young, uh, let's say you're in your 20s, even early 30s, whatever, you know, the infatuation, uh, physical bedroom stuff, I mean, that's cool, but but it's so much more than that. It is getting married to somebody is so much more than that. Like, really, please just make sure some of this other stuff is in line. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree right. more. Uh, you know, I mean, oftentimes, if you look at it, is it... You know, is it a person that's giving you energy and helping you grow and, and allowing you the space to make mistakes and, and, and grow? Mm. Right. Or is it a person that's kind of sucking from you? Yeah. Right. Yep. And, and, you know, and so it's, it's just a big difference. And you live, you live this one life. You might as well have an amazing life. And, and, you know, I think all of us are here to, to grow and, and transform and be on our journeys. Um, and that journey is just way easier if you have someone that's supporting you. Totally agree. So some of these, the divorce and the getting remarried and things, all some of this timed in with you starting companies, selling companies. I mean, man, you had. I'm oh, just, yeah. I'm, I'm watching your timeline here. I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, and you're telling me about your relationships. I'm like, oh man, some of this stuff is hitting <laughs> on the same timeline. Yeah, might, uh, might as well uh, mix up everything at the same time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, didn't you start your first, let's see, walk me through. Yeah. Walk us through your career a little bit. You don't have to touch on every single thing, but I, your most successful stuff, your exit and maybe some of how it ties into some of your uh, relationships as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, early career, like I said, was big company stuff. Um, yeah. You know, and probably the greatest education I got um, was when I was accepted on the global strategy team at uh, level three communications which was for me just an amazing background of people who had learned at you know McKenzie and Bain and you know, gone to good schools and um, you know it was kind of a fast acceleration um, you know into the world and I was able to you know I think they were really good at understanding my brain worked a little bit different and putting me on kind of more advanced um, type of um, scenarios and projects to to look at cool. um, you know from there I, I think the entrepreneurial bug really kicked off a little bit and. Uh, you know, where, where I started really finding myself, I was probably 27, 28, long story. I ended up presenting to the guy that was the chief science officer of a company called SAIC, which was one of the largest defense contractors. Um, and the gentleman who was there was a guy by the name of Dr. Adam Drobot. And Dr. Drobot, um, one of the most brilliant people you'll ever meet. And the, you know, the people I was working with at the time were asking me to go in and present a bunch of stuff. And finally, I just presented the thing I was interested in, which was laser projectors at the time. And the ability to even start getting into 3D type of images without having to wear glasses. And he got really excited about it. 
right? And um, you know, he and I started bonding over that, and he became somewhat of a technology and business mentor for me. Okay. Uh, he moved over then to Telcordia, which was kind of the biggest part of what was Bell Labs back in the day. I see. Thousands, thousands of patents. And he said, maybe you should commercialize some of this stuff for us. Right. And I hadn't really thought about that before. It was not even something that from my background or growing up, I'd ever even thought of. Right. I was like, this is great. It's got a commercialization agreement, all this stuff. And then I'm like, huh, wonder how you start a company. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't learned any of this stuff yet. Um, and so honestly, the next, oh man, how I would say eight years to a decade of my life were was spent, you know, co-founding companies and learning all the lessons and screwing up everything I could screw up and, <laughs> you know, just doing all this stuff. But, you know, oftentimes what I found was the greatest lesson was, you know, the, the way I've learned um, corporate law and securities law and IP law and all this stuff is I just get in there with, I just get into the background with all the attorneys and I ask the questions, why is it like this? Why does it work this way? Right? Because if you know the why behind something, you know, the spirit of it, then you really understand everything as a tool. Right. Yeah, right. And, yep. how that works. and so I learned all that. I got into the financial side of things and how do you really build performance and, and how, how does the financial aspect and reporting uh, really work within a company. And, you know, I really developed the philosophy that no one should have the right to run a company unless you know your numbers. Isn't right? it true? Yeah. You, you know, your numbers, make sure the operating agreement, the legal stuff, the patents, the protected, any, any, any of the legal, all of that, the insurance, right. those are all, those are all the back end things that some people just leave, leave, they just leave it on the table to way too long. They get an idea going, they get some revenue going, they don't yeah. have their the, the, they don't have their proper paperwork in order. Their organization set up, and then bam, they they hit they hit a hurdle, and then it gets messy really fast. Well, the businesses are complicated because there's just a lot you have to know, yes. right? Yeah, yes. before you even into the business that that you're doing. And so, I had a lot of you know very fortunate opportunities to, like I said, get in there and learn those mistakes and do these things. But the other part, you know, I started having to spend some time learning is how do you show up in a workplace, right? Are you more a leader, a manager? Like how do you interact with the various people above you or below you and you know, gaining a lot of confidence? And, you know, sometimes I would say, you know, I, I, I always want to be the best I can in everything. And, yeah. you know, one of the hardest lessons growing up is you can't be the best in everything, right? In fact, you're not, there's going to be a bunch of stuff you were really not good at, right? <laughs> And you should celebrate that and understand that, right? Is when right. it happens. And um, you know, for me, what I what I part of what I really started learning about myself was I was really, you know, I thrived in anything that was visionary. Okay. Right. I thrived in anything that took that vision and translated it to a story that essentially I was then selling or basically getting people on board, right? Whether that be investors or people that we're selling to or, or, you know, even internal employees. But man, when it came to the management aspect, especially of people, and here's here's what you should be doing. And here's how I'm going to record your metrics on stuff and all these yeah, things. Right. Yeah. Know how to do it, but it drives me insane. It breaks my brain every time I have to do it. And so there was, there was a piece of me that had to admit, like, you know, I tell people, I go, look, I'm the worst micromanager of all time because I don't know how to do it. I, I literally have no concept of, of any of these things. 
I, I, you know, my philosophy now is I, I hire people who, you know, need to be great managers for the teams that are around them. Right. And I give them the space. And I, in, in many ways, I, the way I think about it is I kind of work for them. What do you need to be, or what do you need to do to, or what do you need me to do for, for you so that you're successful? Right. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Right. And so that's just my philosophy. And I don't try to get into the stuff that breaks my brain. <laughs> where I have value. <laughs> You're big. Um, I mean, you've had, you've done so many things. I mean, if people look you up on LinkedIn, they're going to see, you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but your big first exit was Ibu. Is that right? Right. So that was an interesting one. Um, I, I didn't really intend to get into the cannabis space early on. Um, and I was encouraged by a lot of people to look at it after legalization happened in Colorado. Did you, uh, but had you I, had an exit before that where you had a little nest egg of money or, or no? Yeah. I mean, nothing, a little bit, a little bit. Okay. About, right. Okay. Okay. The, you know, w- with this one, and it's funny, my relationship as I think about money is probably a lot different than other people's, okay. which is, you know, if I'm, if I'm on the path of what I'm supposed to be doing in this world, the money shows up. When I, when I get off my pathway, then stuff just doesn't flow anymore, right? And so I always know if I'm on my pathway or not on my pathway based on, you know, what, what's happening from a financial perspective. I love but that. Ebu, the Ebu part, you know, was interesting because the part I started getting really curious about was if this industry was to ever go mainstream, the, the biggest challenge was inconsistency in the product, right? Um, you know. Was. Right. Like sometimes you feel this way. Sometimes you feel this way. Yes. Sometimes you feel this way. Right. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I, I was like, man, if, if mass consumer adoption is ever to happen, they want to make sure that if I want to feel chill, I'm, I give me my chill product. Right. Or if I feel happy. Give me my euphoric product. Or if I want to feel this. Right. And so that started leading down a path that was really interesting. Could we figure out how to produce reproducible experiences or feelings in a way that almost everyone would, would experience it every single time. And um, this led us down fascinating science, right? And part of the stuff that my brain really starts to love, which was, you know, um, you know, we were getting into a world of like polypharmacology, never done polypharmacology before. Right. But it was really a study of how, multiple compounds interacting at the same receptor site create dramatically different experiences, right? So the easy way to think about it is, you know, you don't have a Reese's peanut butter, but Reese's peanut butter cup receptor on your tongue, right? You have chocolate tastes like chocolate, peanut butter tastes like peanut butter comes together. Boom. You got Reese's peanut butter cup, right? That's right. Yeah. And so the part that people don't know is that if you look at serotonin receptors, your um, dopamine receptors, your cannabinoid receptors, they're, they're all built from the same type of receptor, right? They actually collect lots of different compounds. And depending on that combination of compounds, you can actually change the, the experience of the result a person is going to have exponentially. Mm, I see. Okay. Yeah. So our world of pharmacology today is, yeah, the headache, you, you take ibuprofen, right? One right. fits everything. Yep. That, that's, a, that's a government political thing. That has nothing to do actually with how our bodies work, right? It's just what we can do from a safety study that we can then commercialize, right? And so we started finding that when we started creating these different combinations, right? Um, what was amazing is that in double-blind studies, and, and we were doing high-throughput screening, we were going live human receptors and testing these things and studying them and doing all this stuff. 
to help us figure this out. But in double blind studies, it didn't matter if a person was young or old, black or white, male, female, heavy user, light user, whatever it is, almost everybody in a double blind study, we can make them feel a certain way. I see. Which was amazing results, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, We got into a lot of the genetic side. We then started taking that and say, what if we could make better pain medicine? What if we could make better anxiety medicine? What if we could do all of these different things? And so, um, you know, really led us down the path. And, And the exit for us, was went back to originally the concept that um, a big commercialization, right? So 2017, 2018, big companies started looking at getting into the cannabis space, right? Well, if you're, if you sit on the board of directors, in one of these companies, right? What you sit there and go liability, 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 right? And, and there wasn't a lot of companies out there that could walk into the board of directors and go, Hey, we've done all the studies. We actually know what it does. In fact, the products we're making, we'll tell you every single ingredient. We'll tell you what it does. We'll tell you the performance results on everything so that you can feel very comfortable with the product that you're producing and putting in the marketplace is not going to have adverse, you know, type of results. Right. Wow. Okay. And so you name it across the board. I, um, even though probably out of NDA, I can't mention it, but imagine the biggest soft drink companies, beer companies, other drink companies, other product companies. We're all coming to my doorstep again and again and again. Right. And they're saying we need this technology. We need this scientific process technology. A lot of it was well, started more with the conversation of we were told that you're the person we should talk to to understand what this is. Right. We created the reputation of being one of the top scientific companies. And so we'd sit down and I wasn't even doing a hard sell. I was just basically saying, why don't I just teach you this first? Why don't I get you comfortable with this first? Right. And then un- then you can understand what the opportunity is. And you know, we went through a lot of um, amazing journeys with various big companies that actually got into the space. By this time now, by this by the time the big companies are knocking on your door, did you have a bunch of stuff protected and patented and trademarked yeah. and all? She filed over 50 different patents, probably over 5000 different claims associated with things. We built a big okay. uh, IP wall. If you, you want to get deep into IP strategy. Um, we can, but we actually purposely didn't go through full prosecution and actually have final patents um, on okay. things. We, we had always been granted novelty, but we were able to build really big walls and didn't have to narrow the walls yet by selecting certain data sets over periods of time, right? How did you fund all this, John, with the scientists? Because you had to have these scientists and these super smart people and these analysts, and then you had to pay all these lawyers to do all this shit. How did you fund all this? A lot of begging, borrowing, stealing, you know, normal. Uh, no, I mean... It was interesting. I mean, it wasn't, you couldn't really do institutional capital with what we were doing. And in fact, early on, it was super hard because the, originally we were actually a cannabis company. Eventually we gave up that license because it was way easier without it. I see. Uh, but like the investors that were getting in had to be so passionate about what we were talking about and doing. They would have to go to their police station and get fingerprinted and submit applications to the marijuana enforcement division in order to be considered for um, uh, investing in this company. Right. Because, Wow. Very painful wow. at the time it was done. Um, the, um, you know, but with everything I've found when it comes to investments, 98, 99% of people who invest are human, right? They make emotional decisions and they support it with facts, mm-hmm. right? So if you, if you think about investors from that perspective and you figure out what is it that you know, it's going to get them emotionally excited about what you're doing mm-hmm. and then be ready to support it with the facts and the data. So, you know, 
they they don't say no, mm. right? You're going to be in a really good place to potentially close a lot of very you know a lot of investors with into things that are very um, even even very challenging sometimes as long as there's that emotional hook, mm. right? And that's so a good, that's a good point. That's a great tip, John. Great tip. It's it's important to think about it, and you know what I find with a lot of you know early companies and scientific companies and everything is that they're just too complicated in the story that they're telling oftentimes. Mm. Right. Mm. And, you know, most of the time when I'm telling people going through fundraising, I go, look, you, uh, investors, you remember five points, right? You're, you just threw 57 at me. Right. You better hope. How do you know it's the right five points? I'm remembering when I walk away from this conversation. <laughs> right. I mean, and, a lot of your time uh, at Abu must have been spent raising cash. Had to be. I mean, damn, uh, you must have spent a lot. I mean, we brought in by the time we were done $17, 18000000 dollars into a company that had no revenue, you know, and then exited for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. No uh, revenue. No revenue. You hadn't actually sold. Well, we we had. No, here's the crazy part. This is this is sometimes sometimes I've questioned myself. Um, we actually have revenue, we have products, but as a part of the, Hey, I'm going to commit to the strategy that we are a scientific company that's really designed for the large mass scale commercialization. It didn't make sense for me to sell products anymore on the small okay. market. Okay. Right? And okay. push that stream. So we killed all our products, killed the products. So you saw what you ended up selling was the IP basically. That was it. The IP and the team and all the data and the, set. And the, team, and the team. Okay. Did you have to do a ride along with that, by the way? Or they were like, you were there, uh, you were out as soon as the sale happened? I did. I committed. I would come on board for a year. Um, and they had me doing, had nothing to do with anything I'd ever done before. I actually helped uh, set up the US forum. You know, we kind of went from zero people, 500 people in six or seven months. I mean, it was, you know, fast scale, everything moves very quickly, you know, type of thing, which was, which was also very fun. Um, you know, I think for me though, I, I, I know me, I'm not, you know, building large scale companies to do those type of things. Aren't the things that drive me. Right. Okay. okay. Um, and you sold, they sold, you sold, I mean, this is public knowledge. I think you sold the canopy growth Co corporation, right? Right. Correct. Yep. 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 Great. Hey. People. What was, oh, what was that? They were a wonderful group of people. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, congratulations. What a, what a major win for you. What? So you could you have retired right there? Were you like, okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm retired, or and you're like, ah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be an investor, I'm gonna sit on some boards. What, they, they, what was the plan for John then? Yeah, if your question was, could I have financially done that? Sure, but I had no interest in that, right? Because I don't work for money, right? And you know, coming out of that, you know, I really liked what I was doing at Abu, but I didn't love it. Right. And part of what I wanted to figure out was in my lifetime, now that I can afford the opportunity to contribute to the world in a more significant way, oh, right. right. Find the pathway of where I wanted to be able to go in this life. And especially with four kids, like what's the world I want to leave them. Mm. I, I was like, okay, what, what do I want to do? And, you know, for me, the part that excited me was looking at, you know, very high level, how do we save the planet? Okay. But, we, if we kind of dig one layer deeper, the biggest issue that we have more than anything is just how we produce power, right? Is the biggest thing, right? That's why we're getting most of the carbon in the air and, you know, all the stuff that's creating all the, 
um, major problems that we're seeing today. But also we're running into major economic problems with the production of power and the way that we're looking at translating the global economy as we move forward. And in looking at every way that we were producing power today, I looked at it and went, man, this whole thing seems like it needs to be revolutionized, right? We we need this, we're doing the same thing that we've been doing for a really long period of time, and there's hardly been any innovation in this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, my, my sweet spot in the world that I started figuring out about myself is. I'm I'm really good connection between the the beautiful minds who can create stuff. I call them the artist scientists, right? The you know, the ones who really imagine the world way different, right? And then you know try to figure it out, and the rest of the planet because typically that person struggles to communicate with the rest of the planet. Yeah, right? you're right. Building <laughs> real commercial enterprise about it. So especially if they're trying to communicate to investors that have cash, <laughs> investors who have cash or um, the, um, um, uh, you know, or just even you're talking to partners or you're just trying to communicate out to the general public or anyone like this, right? Um, it's all um, really important to make sure that you can explain what this is. But also, going back to that scientist and going, I know you think you have a lot of really good ideas for how you're going to bring this to the marketplace, but why, why not help guide this for you in terms of where... <laughs> those and what you can do with this right mm. and so was there a particular uh energy uh channel or path you were going down um how, so, how did you yeah yeah you know i spent a long time fussing around on a bunch of stuff because i didn't know much right i mean oftentimes i uh, you know i'm a very much hands-on i got to get out there and try a bunch of things and kind of fail at a bunch of stuff before it really starts lining up and similar to what we talked about earlier i, I when things start lining up the universe almost starts keeps starts pushing me in a certain way and a lot start happening that's when i know that i'm on the right path with things right okay. Okay. and that only really started happening for me earlier this year where um you know, I, for the um, uh, first time, like sat down and found a group that I thought was doing some really wild, innovative type of stuff. Um, the CTO there was the uh, was one of the lead hydrogen motor uh, scientists for NASA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had created a whole bunch of stuff as it relates to the energy side of the world. Um, there was, um, you know, the, the, um, other partner there had actually created one of the top control panel, um, businesses in the Southeast for the U S and they were working on this new high efficiency DC generator that actually, um, really presented some interesting options for how the world moved forward. And, and I say that is when we think about power creation today, we think about big power stations and then we think about transmission. Right. And part of what no one's talking about right now is that that model no longer works, not just because of what we're trying to burn to do this, but the cost of transmission is becoming cost prohibitive. Mm. And it's causing all of these problems. And our power demand globally is going up something like six to eight percent of year. Right. We can't afford to keep building transmission the way that we've been building transmission before. And so all of a sudden, you got to start thinking about shifting towards. Uh, microgrids, power creation closer to where you need to use it. And and what most people don't don't realize is most things that take power use DC power, not AC, right? right? So 
we lose 67% of our power when we create it, turn it to AC, shift it, you know, you know, shoot it across the freaking wires to wherever the heck it needs to go, convert it to DC to be able to use it, right? Versus what if you had a DC generator that's 98% efficient, just produces DC, plugs it right into the actual thing it needs to use. Anything, okay. plug it in, anything, plug into it. Okay. All right. Into it. You, you, so yeah. you actually create these prime mover type situations. And so that started looking like it was a really good commercial opportunity. And um, we were actually building out kind of our first scale factory for bringing some of that to the marketplace. And um, now when you met the, when you met these guys, you're talking about uh, where they, were they originally meeting with you because they're looking for an investment and they knew you were an investor. Long story. We're not even getting into why they met me. <laughs> Long story. But we'll, let's just say we, 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 we were, we were very okay. similar at the very beginning. All right. um, What's the name of the company? Can you pitch the company? It's called Virian, V-I-R-I-E-N. Okay. Um, um, which um, was kind of a combination when I came up with the name was um, uh, 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 Viridis, which in, um, I believe, Latin or Greek was green. I should know that. Okay. Um, and then I basically shortened it, took the beginning part of energy, combined it together, and voila, uh, Virian.com was available. And Were you the, were you the lead investor? Uh Partly, but also kind of co-founder, creator, I came in initially as CEO on that one. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, we're actually looking quite a bit on wind. So, you know, if we look at the wind in, in wind energy market, right? What most people aren't talking about is the big fan blades that are out there. Uh-huh, right. We recycled or they, or they have to come down and get replaced. And you can't even recycle these things because there's a whole bunch of rare earth minerals and there are all this other stuff and they're toxic. Those, you can't recycle those? So what are we going to do with them? Just pile them up in the desert? Wow. Right. Like up in Oregon, there's a massive wind farm where they got to stick 10,000 of these things in the ground right now. Super expensive. How, who wants to even take these things and stick them in the ground? Right. It just, it's a horrible model. Right. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So I did not know that. Yeah. Vertical wind turbines, which are almost just as efficient. But with our, our generator in place, and we just did a licensing deal to, um, so if you have a normal generator, you have a stator and a rotor. Right. And so it kind of just does this. And we actually have the technology that allows us to do this. Okay. So wind turbine goes one way and goes this way. We can make something that's about 60% more energy efficient uh, by actually creating something where we're, we're just capturing the energy this way uh, on these vertical wind turbines. And so we'll have that out in the marketplace here in the next couple months in terms of early trials and a lot, lot of great stuff. There's some, so you're uh, in, you're in R and D mode right now and in production mode or, or, it's really commercial. Um, okay. You know, we're starting to get okay. some real units that are starting to work, which was great. Um, and then we actually just did a deal um, this morning where uh, we just took over technology that can use water and combustion engines. Um, super exciting. I'm not going to go much into that one, but man, like I've seen this thing run multiple different engines and it works great. And um, the way it works is really fascinating, super advanced stuff. I'm not going to talk about at this point, but um, we're really excited about that deal. But what's happened in, only in the last few weeks is um, there was a different kind of sister company that came along that um, made sense for me to do a little bit of a pivot over to. Okay. Um, so I stayed as uh, chairman as Virian and very active in what's happening there. Um, but just jumped on board with a, uh, we created a new company in order to move forward with this called uh, Simeus. And um, partly what was really interesting in terms of what can help save the planet uh, and everything is kind of the materials that we use to produce things. And um, we've kind of maxed out what we can do with plastics and, and the recyclability of plastics and the performance of plastics. 
Um, and the world started coming up with these new 2D structures, like things like graphene or boron nitride and, and some of these other ones that are really interesting at very small levels where, you know, graphene is potentially one of the, the strongest, if not the strongest material known to man. It's a thousand times more conductive than copper. You read all these things. Everyone's so excited about graphene, but you can't take a 2D structure and really build stuff with it, right? But um, so everyone's like, hey, wouldn't it be great if you could take graphene, stick it into polymers? And so a lot of people have been trying to scale up graphene, stick it into polymers. They get about 20% improvement. Uh, well, there's a scientist that actually uh, was one of the top uh, plastic scientists in the country. And he's like, man, I think they're all making it the wrong way. And he came up with a whole extrusion process where he's able to kick out large volumes of uh, graphene polymers, whatever polymer that you want to, um, you know, making metric tons of this stuff at almost, you know, very, very low, low cost. Um, but we were seeing somewhere between 200 to 600% improvements in the strengths of these plastics. Mm. And the part that then got me really excited about this is um, one of the other ways that you can really change the entire energy economy is through power storage, right? And so one of the biggest issues that we have for balancing the grid, for storing power at the house and, and everything, right, is um, is power storage because where we're, where we're running into problems are peaks, right, in the creation of power. And so if you just had a, a steady stream, right? To the homes, to the businesses or whatever it is, and you can build up power storage. And during the peak times, you're draining the batteries. And during the low times, you're filling up the batteries. Mm -hmm, yeah. Incredible way of actually helping the grid. But also, if you look at most things that we're trying to shift to, you know, electric vehicles and potentially electric planes and all of these other things, all takes power, right? All takes power storage, right? Yes. So um, early evidence uh, using this type of you know, the, the graphene polymers and then doing a conversion process is that, you know, there's a really good chance we're going to be able to introduce batteries into the marketplace in, you know, three to five years uh, that will be able to, it's funny I use those numbers, uh, increase the energy density of batteries uh, three to five X, increase the cycles of the batteries three times more. Um, be able to be fully recyclable batteries, which is obviously extremely important as we're moving forward and be completely safe. You can shoot the thing with a bullet, plug it in and the thing will still work. Right. And so um, if we really think about the whole way that we're, that we, that we store power, we use power, we accelerate power. Right. I have one hat on us thinking about what is power creation, right. Using anywhere between, you know, wind and DC power generation and, um, you know, potentially water and a whole bunch of novel concepts. And then the other side is what are the materials that we build the world with this new kind of alien material, but then how can we use that to do things like power storage? Right. And so I'm, for me, th this is as great as it gets for me in my career right now. Right. Super excited with what the opportunity is. None of this actually feels like work for me. Right. This is just like, I'm getting to wake up and, you know, every day I'm I'm trying to figure out how is how is it I'm contributing to to humanity and the planet and and all this stuff and and getting to think outside the box and use all my skills that we talked about along the way, uh, so that hopefully I can make a difference, right? Um, this, this new company then is just getting started, and again, you're probably the lead investor. Are you raising cash for it? Raising cash for it. Um, we're out doing that. Um, that's probably going to go pretty quick. Uh, on that side of things. And it's important to understand, like the company's been in commercialization mode for six months. We're just repackaging it into a new company so that we I can see. really figure out the market. Yeah. 
So it's right. like we're we're ready to turn on the first major commercial machine. There's a pipeline of probably five to ten billion dollars of opportunity just sitting there already uh, on that side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, but we, we need to continue to heavily invest on the R and D side, bring in the right scientists, do the work that we need to, and be really smart about who we are, who we're, what we're going to be when we grow up, right? Versus what we're not going to be. And a lot of the internal conversation is, look, if you create this amazing, you know, new material, right, that you can do, um, redesign airplanes, you basically replace all carbon fiber, you can place a lot of what what you use for aluminum, you can, you know, change the way that you're doing, you know, even storage containers, railroad tiles, or everything across the board, right, Uh, bridges, Um, you know, there's one thing for us to think that we're the ones that can build all this stuff. But the reality is there's tons of amazing, creative, ambitious people out there in the world. And what we're going to do best with is eventually getting to the point where we're enabling all those creative minds to use this whole new brand new class of material and and seeing what they can create with it. Right. Because mm. that's where you really get the true ingenuity of, of humanity working together to really better things all together. Right. Where, where did the passion for leaving the world a better place? When did that set in? Because you went you went from I'm going to build a cannabis scientific technology company to I want to make the world a better place before I go. How did that pivot? Oh, it was always there. I would it have was that. Always there. Okay. Right? okay. But, you know, for me now, especially with kids, um, you know, like my five year olds, I have to travel quite a bit in order to do the jobs that I'm doing. Right. But it's funny, like people come over and they'll ask him, what do you think about your dad having to travel a couple nights every week? And he goes, it's okay. He's trying to save the planet. You know? <laughs> I like that, man. I like that. Well, will we ever, I mean, not in our lifetimes, right, John, we're not in our lifetimes. We're not going to, we're not going to see a world that doesn't have gasoline powered engines, oil, oil powered engines. Are we, I mean, surely not. Well, we're, that's not going to happen that fast. Is it? I don't know. You know, I, I would say it's probably unlikely. And the reason for it is there's a lot of people that like, that, you know, look at something like this and they think instant change, right? If you have some, so. Right. And part of it too is you got to recognize there are, you know, global economies, countries, um, families, you know, all these people that rely on existing economies today, right? And we need to create pathways for shifting things, right? But if all of a sudden you're like, hey, we're changing everything right now, right? That's not possible. Creates, yeah, it just creates wars, it creates famine, it creates hunger, it creates death, it creates all these things if you go too fast, right? Yep. And so, yes, you absolutely have to go down the path of, of progressively, you know, moving the world to, to a better place. But with that said, um, we also have to recognize that it takes time to shift things, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, but, but also, like, even to support it, like the internal infrastructure, right? A lot of people kind of miss how the hell does this even scale, right? How, how would you scale something like this? Like, what does that even look like? How do we move from where we are today to, to this thing over here? It takes time to do it right, because if not, we're just going to implode, right? Yeah. We're, we're trying to invo- avoid implosion, right? It's the ultimate goal. <laughs> right? With what we want to do, um, be really smart about how we're building it and um, make sure that, you know, as we do this, we, we, you know, we don't create harm in the process and we, and we find ways to create winning situations so we can get people to, to move over. Right. And the more we create situations, the better. I mean, honestly, I mean, you'll probably laugh with the stuff I'm talking about. 
I'm purposely going to oil and gas guys, right? Looking for investment from them because I want to find wins for them in the way that the global economy changes. You know what I, you know, the uh, comparison I think about there is when Philip Morris uh, finally realized like, okay, cigarettes are not going to be our future because uh, they have, uh, the world has decided they're killing people and they just started investing in other things as fast as they could. Right. They started buying up all kinds of other companies, investors, other things. I mean, that, that's what I predict. That's what will happen with the oil companies too. I mean, they'll just do the same thing. They're going to just look at like, you know, there's significant amount of funds right now set aside, for example, with middle East uh, sovereign funds, right? Hundreds of billions of dollars to invest in green energy right now. Why? Because they know the future is not going to be in oil. That's right. <laughs> they're trying to, they're trying to go. Look, I, you know, I, I think there's this view of, you know, save the world to save the world. Um, I think my wife and I, and this is going back to how we overlap. We actually think about saving the world through capitalism, right? Because it's, you're not going to defeat the way that the economics rule the world and how the world moves. So why don't we use it as a tool, right, to really create change, but let's make it a winnable change for everybody, right? It can't be one or two people winning. You have to make sure that you're creating a situation in which there's a lot of winners around the globe. You know, That's right. If, if not, people end up dead. <laughs> they end up fighting. They it, Look, you got, everyone around the world needs to eat. That's right. right. Everyone yeah. needs to eat. So we got to make sure everyone's eating. You, you brought up a great point when you said, you know, yeah, all the change and the technology to, to create a, a cleaner, safer world is wonderful. But if you don't do it the right way and you don't attack the economy problem along the way and make sure you have winners along the way, you're going to create uh, a lot of starving, poor people, wars, family, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Look, change, change when you have change is really hard because you will create winners and losers. Yeah. Yeah. And the goal is how is it if, if you're really smart about it up front, you can minimize the losses and increase the the wins. Right. And it's never going to be a perfect model, right? Yeah. In that situation, because you're also dealing with humans who may not choose to make change, right? Or well, do humans, it. Hate, humans hate change in general. Humans <laughs> hate change in general. But there's going to be a lot of people get really excited about where the world's going and what that market is and why everyone's really excited about this new green economy and how yeah. the world works. I mean, you have multiple trillions of dollars that has to change the way it's being made right now, right? And and how about this? You haven't really touched on this. Well, kind of, but it's wonderful. I, I, I love how the, the U.S. decides, the United States is like, we're going to do this. Right. And I'm always thinking, well, that's cool, but are we going to make India do that? Are we going to make China do that? Are we going to like what? <laughs> uh, I mean, for me, like I said, this is where I believe in capitalism, right? If you have something that is a logical, smart yes. product, there, right? There you you have everyone across the globe, even China, look, China, Chinese are capitalists, right? They are. They are. Are. They're, they're capitalists, right? <laughs> It's set up a buddy a capitalistic type of society, but they make capitalistic decisions. Yeah, they right? do. Yeah. In the end, everyone makes capitalistic decisions. If you present the right opportunity to there them nine times out of ten or ninety-nine out of a hundred times, they'll probably make the right decision in terms of what that is, right? Yeah. yeah. Now there there is an aspect of things when you look about look at it, when you create change. Um, I'm gonna be very careful about how I talk about this one, right? Where you can create instability, right? And with instability. Um, equals power change. And so mm -hmm. there, 
has to be looked at, right? You're not going to take a brand new technology like this and immediately introduce it into um, certain countries where we have geopolitical struggles, right? Um, you won't even be allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so there, there's a certain way to play on sides with the introduction uh, of technology uh, um, that has to be recognized because, you know, life is complex. We're not playing a perfect economy here. I just right? had a vision. I just had a visual of the uh, of a car salesman being followed home by horse and buggy uh, manufacturers because they're pissed off and they're like, hey, what are you doing, man? You're trying to uh, run our business. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, uh, man, you're hey, you are a passionate guy and um a visionary, obviously, uh, and a creative guy. And I ad- I admire your ability to um grab a hold of something brand new that you don't know anything about and just dive in like a pit bull and just figure it out and learn it and then go for it. I love that. It's the only way I know how to approach things. I love it, man. I love it. Congrats. Congratulations. By the way, do you want to mention a website or a URL or anything on the new company with the. Virians, we haven't even launched the new one yet. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, it's coming soon. It's just so new. And, you know, we're being, you know, we're targeting specific people that we want to go out to uh, on that side of uh, side of things. That that one's going to be called um, Simeus. So I was right. When I, when I created Ebu, it actually had no absolute meaning whatsoever. It was just like a buy a dot com that actually meant, you know, a specific thing, right? Uh, or it didn't mean anything. <laughs> so that's where that came from. But with Virian and Simeus, I wanted them to represent something. Um, okay. And the reason I went with the, with, it came up with the name Simeus was I was really thinking the terms um, better together. Oh, right. All right. Simeus, right. if, if, if investors are listening to this episode and they want to get a hold of you, uh, what, what, uh, what's the best way to contact you right now? Uh, he could probably just write me on LinkedIn. Um, right. do that. all right. All right. Very good. Well, I guess when we launch, we can always have Scott put in any links by the time we launch, if you want to add something in. Yeah, we can probably just do that. I'll, I can probably send some links, but that might be just the easiest way for anyone to reach out okay. uh, at this point. Um, or, but, you know, Scott, I'll, I'll share like the new okay. email as well um, that people could reach out to uh, for something like this. John, congratulations, man, on a very fascinating and interesting career so far. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show and Absolutely. sharing your story. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Thank you very much.